And we're in a series that we've just called The Way in a Manger. And we obviously that's a play on words on the, the, uh, the classic uh, <clears throat> Christmas song. And, but Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And humanity's first connection with, it, with Jesus, this God-made flesh, was here in this manger. And so from that very moment, Jesus has been the way. And so we're looking at this. And so many times Christmas can begin to flesh out in different ways. It can begin to flesh out on, on the uh, issues of, of giving and receiving, attending parties, doing all of the different stuff, uh, fixing up the house, the decoration, so many different, different things. But this series has one, I've wanted to bring us all back to a place where when we think of Christmas, we think of this concept that we open the notes with every week, that every Christmas we should celebrate that God has made a way where there was no way. When we look at that manger scene, when we look at that nativity, when we think about Jesus and that the Christ child uh, concept, that we sit there and we think of Jesus being presented to humanity, that that was so important. Not because one day we would have a great holiday celebrating that event, but it is so important because of what took place. That humanity was completely on the outside and there was no way we could be able to approach God on our own. We were completely dead and disconnected from God and God in Christ made a way where there was no way. In fact, John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Until there was Jesus provided it, there was not a way to the Father. There was not a way to be made right with God. There was the, the Jewish system of sacrifices was simply this thing that pointed, that were types and shadows of who Jesus would be so that when the way showed up, it would be recognizable. But it never made anybody right with God. It never did. And so as we're looking at this, so many times we, when there's not a way there, we just want a way. We just want one. Any way will work. I just desperately want a way. Years ago, I had the privilege of getting to, to deal with what, these young teenagers that uh, the, were, were labeled at risk. So they were kind of on the border between making a whole bunch of bad decisions and, and hopefully making some life-giving good decisions. And, and I had the privilege of being able to do some leadership classes with these over a period of time. And one of the first, first <coughs> classes we did, because most young men especially want to pride themselves out that they are not followers. They go their own way and I do my own thing. And boy, and all of a sudden it's there. And this concept of wanting somebody to speak into your life, wanting a mentor, wanting some guidance, it's just like, man, I don't need any of that mess. I don't need any of that. I know what I want to do. I know what I want out of life. I know how to get it and I'm going to pursue it. So one of the first things I would do is address that false concept. So they're not walking around thinking that they're not followers when they are. So we would go through a process, a, a series of, of, <clears throat> of little games that I would do. And it was a blindfold game with given directions. And everything led up to one last game. 
The first one, we'd put a blindfold on somebody and we would send them out and have them walk through a room. And somebody's voice guiding them through the room. And the first time we tell them to do it, we say, tell them exactly right. Tell them the truth. So sure enough, that person who's guiding them, they guide. It's a little bumpy. They're at, you know, they can't see anything. So they're going through life like this and trying to make it through. And they finally get to a place and they sit down in a chair. And because the truth was being told to them, it worked. Well, the next volunteer didn't work out so well. That person, I said, tell them anything but the truth. Bump them into a wall. I want you to park them in a corner. Do whatever. So sure enough, this person straps their blindfold on. And of course, you couldn't hurt them. Couldn't, there wasn't anything for them to get hurt on. But sure enough, they'd end up in, in a corner, end up someplace. And they quickly, after bumping into a few things, realized that this person's leading me astray. Well, what's funny is because I couldn't see, they would do what they said Anyways, they knew they were lying to them. And because there was not another voice, they would do what they said anyways. So then I would get the next person would sit there and we put the blindfold on. And then I would have two voices, one telling the truth and one telling lies. They couldn't rebut one another. All they could do was just give commands. They couldn't, two voices couldn't talk to each other, just give commands. So they're giving commands. And sure enough, one of the, the, the person with the blindfold would eventually figure out who was telling them the truth, tune out, not listen to the other one, find it to their direction, get where they were going. They'd be able to sit there, multiple inputs, latch on to the one that's the truth, hang on to it, follow it. But where I really wanted to take them, each one of those has teachable moments in it and I capitalized on each one of them, but where I really wanted to take them was the last one. Where we put somebody with a blindfold on and I didn't allow anybody to speak to them at all. And they just stand there. And there's no voice. And there's nobody giving any input whatsoever. See, that's what they wanted. They thought. Full control, full reign, be able to do what they wanted to do. And without fail, they began to cry out for a voice. Somebody tell me where to go. Somebody tell me. This isn't funny. Why are y'all punking me? Somebody tell me where to go. A real brave one would begin to try to step out and figure it out on their own, but it was super tentative and it was super cautious. Most of them stood motionless, crying out for a way through, crying out for somebody to do it. And at that point, we were able to have a teachable moment and say, look, every one of you, you want guidance. You want it. You're looking for it. You don't know where to go. You want it. You cry out for it. You can't help it. Let's go ahead and make a decision right now that you're going to begin to look for something good and begin to make a decision and break down that concept that they didn't need input and they didn't need leadership and they didn't need guidance at all. And we took care of that real fast and be able to make all the rest of the lessons kind of have some impact. But that's, folks, that's all of us. We hit this place in life and we desperately want a way through. We're so thankful that God made a way where there was no way but right now you and I feel like we're still in the through part see I love Christmas I love Christmas I always have enjoy it look forward to it there's always the slight little bit of financial stress of having seven children and doing all their wish lists and stuff but you know what God's awesome he provides it's cool it's fun to watch 
And, um, and so, but we just love it. Just enjoy it, you know. And, um, you know, some of you are just love Christmas to the point that on the 26th, you got that little thing with the chalkboard that says so many days till Christmas. And you wipe it out and you're at 364 days till Christmas. <laughs> Most people pull that out after Thanksgiving, by the way, if you're one of those. And so, uh, um, but you just, so many are just excited, love it, want it. And then there are others who just want to get through it. If I just get through the holiday season, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay. And that's honestly reflective of a lot of folks in life. They just want to figure out a way to be able to get through. Now, we're going to take the next few minutes, and I'm going to walk you through one of my favorite extended passages of scripture. We're going to start in Romans 8, 1, and we're going to end up at the end of Romans 8. And I've encountered this as if I got to sit down with you and have a cup of coffee, and you just let me kind of walk you through one of my favorite chunks of scripture. And so that's what, that's what we're going to do. It's a little different than my normal communication style. All my homiletic students are about to give me an F. And so, and um, I said, you did not do what you taught us, Pastor Brandon. And so, um, but uh, this passage of scripture is, is such a big deal, and I think it is a, the nutshell of what it means to understand what Christ has done for us, understand the dynamics of still being on this planet and dealing with some of the things on this planet, and understand what the end result looks like. And as we just take Romans 8 and we just track through it, this was such a big deal that when we launched Celebration Church and we were down the hall in Theater 4, that we started, our first series was called Open, and because we were open as a church, and our second series was simply called Eight, as I walked through Romans 8, because I wanted to get this deep down in our DNA as a church. So, here we go. I'm going to take you on one of my favorite scriptural journeys, and we tie it in, and it's, I think it just perfectly ties in with Christmas. See, the, the manger reminds us that God sent us his son because he wanted to expand his family. God wanted to expand his family. An investor who wants to expand his, his, his money resources, he, he sends those monies out. He, he invests them in a business or he, he invests them in, in, in stocks or he invests them in bonds or something that's going to... He sends dollars out because he wants to expand those. A farmer who wants some, some, some <clears throat> uh, cotton out near wall, well, they take some of those cotton seeds and they stick them in the ground and they want to expand them. God wanted to expand his family. That's what Jesus talked about, seed time and harvest and the, the, con the concepts of, of agriculture and growing. And so it's not a surprise that for God to be able to reap a harvest of sons and daughters that he would send forth his son because he wanted to expand his family. And we're going <clears> to <throat> get this because we open up in Romans and Paul writes to a group of believers who even though a couple of millennia ago were pretty much like you and I, live in a secular society live in a society that doesn't necessarily value our relationship with God. Thank goodness we've got latitude and religious freedom from our government to be able to do this, but 
Our society values what we're doing right now less and less and less. And that was the culture the Romans lived in. Nobody thought, hey, that's so fantastic that a bunch of people are getting together and talking about Jesus. And so he begins to bring and show us how all of this connects. And we're going to look at Romans 8, 1. It says, Romans 8, 1 opens up with one of the most powerful statements that you can ever begin to wrap your mind around. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you can just get, let that get down deep on the inside of you, that is so liberating and, and life-changing that if you are in Christ, there is not any condemnation at all you're not having an, another opportunity to walk the tight wire to God that's not what Jesus is Jesus isn't a do-over to try to walk the tight wire to God right one more time it's the fact that we're already on the other side he's put us on the other side the chasm is behind us he passed it and because we're in him we're on the other side we're in Christ and there's not any condemnation there's no weight of judgment hanging over our heads who are in Christ there's not we are completely free that's where Paul opens up in this and that we that's our first stop and then we're going to jump to verse 3 because this is how it happened it says for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so condemned sin in the flesh. Boom. Done. Every other system that man has come up with, every other system, even the, the best one, which was the Judaic system, failed miserably. It was weakened by the flesh. It couldn't get it done. And God sent his own son to be the sin offering. And it's taken care of. Then we jump in to verse 15. It says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So many times we think that all of a sudden now we're just changing one master from another. That now instead of being a master to all of my habits and all this stuff, that, that now I'm this beat down person in the kingdom of God and that's not what God's called us to do it's the wrong mentality to connect with God so he's not make you a slaves again so that you live in fear all over again rather the spirit you received <clears throat> brought you <clears throat> about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry out Abba Father so there's no condemnation it was done because God sent his own son and now you and I who are in Christ can say Papa God we can say Daddy we don't have, when we address him, we call him daddy. You let that get deep down on the inside of you and it changes everything. The God of the universe, the God of creation wants you to call him daddy because you're his kid. Not because it's a new religious system that now we take out, oh, great and powerful God and institute this other little phrase that's a little more approachable called daddy. No, it's because it's who he is to us. That's who he is. So here we go. And then the next verse says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So Romans 8 opens up with this good stuff. I said, if I was going to sit down and walk you through one passage of Scripture, this would be it. And I'd sit down and we'd talk about how powerful the, that first verse is and that there's no condemnation and how Paul builds this awesome case that we are God's kids. We're his children. We're right with him. There's not all of this extra stuff that we're off to a good start and maybe one day we're going to be okay with God. No, we're right with him and we're his children and that's where, that's where we are right now. 
See, God sending, his, God sending his son so that we can be his children is the core message of Christmas. That God gave a son. That manger is because he wanted that son and that manger is because he wanted sons and daughters. He wanted children. He wanted you and I to be connected with him the way we were designed to be connected. Not another piece of creation, but something unique that was in relationship with God. And that place that we're his children, our entire hope centers around this, folks. Our entire hope for life centers around the fact that we're God's kids. If you don't have a picture in your mind that you are 100% right with God based on what Jesus did and that he's your father and you're his son and you're an heir in Christ, you are going to interact with God completely wrong. All your hope, everything is going to be wrapped up in something else. It's going to be messed up. So after building this great case for how solidly we are, Fully God's children, simply because of what God has done. Now Paul shifts into what this means for why, what, who we are and why, what happens while we're living in this planet. All of a sudden he's built these great things and more than you can, you can have some, feel some real warm fuzzies with those first few verses. But now, all of a sudden eight, verse 18 comes along. Paul, you had us really rocking and rolling here, buddy. We're feeling like awesome. We're God's kids. Then we get to verse 18. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Wait a minute. We're God's kids. Why are we having present sufferings? Why are there some things in life that are still uncomfortable to us? Why are there some things that we would label that this, this is terrible? This stinks. I'm suffering. This is terrible. Why would we be in that place? And Paul sits there and reminds us to begin to shift. Why? Because he who's begun a good work is faithful to complete it. If we get our eyes stuck on the difficulties in the moment, we'll forget to look at where he's taking us, which is why he says our present sufferings are not worth comparing the glory that will be revealed. Then verse 24, he says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. In this hope we were saved. When you said yes to Christ, you were now in a place. If you were going to call where we live right now in the kingdom of God on this planet, it would be called hope. We're in a place where all of a sudden there's this, there are promises, there's good, there's, there's great things that God has in store for us. But then he tells us, a hope that is seen is no hope at all. So the fact that we're still dealing with some stuff, but we have a hope that it's not always going to be this way. Well, yeah. Because if you already had it, that's not hope anymore. If you're already through it, that's not hope. You know, right now, all these kids are going up and I was the worst, man. I'd go up and grab the gifts and shake them. <laughs> sit there and listen and mess with it. See if there was a little peak or a little tear. My parents had always told me if I ever opened one prematurely, they would return it, and I believed them. And so I did not try to do, I'm not, I was not very good at rapping then. I've, my skills have gotten a little better. And, uh, but I did not even try to undo it, look, and put it back. 
And man, there was just all this anticipation and all this hope. And, and you're rolling in to the big moment where mom and dad say, open up the gifts. And there's just all this hope and all this anticipation. And it's so exciting. And you're playing with it and all of that. And the stuff is out. And you've opened your gifts. And on the other side of that, none of us are going, man, I hope I get an Xbox that I opened yesterday. No, we have it. We enjoy it. It's here. It's not hope anymore. It's living in it. It's enjoying it. So there is this place where there's still things that are still have not been fully manifested yet. We're still in this place where there's some, some difficulties, but we are anchored in this thing called hope. Because when those things haven't been fully come yet, we're still in this period called hope. It says, but if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. Oh, we all love that one, don't we? Man, one of the first things you hear, you know, or what I did is, you know, the people telling you, don't ever pray for patience. <laughs> never, never, never pray for patience. Man, God will give you opportunities to grow it. Yes, well, we've got those every day. I'm praying for patience because I see how little I have sometimes. We all need some patience, and you do too. We wait for it patiently. Then verse 26, it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Because he knew that as soon as he said patience, we all go, Poof. Seriously? If this is about patience, ah, man, this is messed up now because I have very little. I spent it three weeks ago. I've been out for a long time. I'm done. I don't, I don't know when the next batch is coming, but I needed it like days ago. And so... He helps us out. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself. Isn't it great to be partnered with God? And we have the Holy Spirit alive, dwelling within us. And the Holy Spirit can intercede on our behalf. For the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Man, so many times my wife knows exactly what's going on in my head from just the way I huff. I can do something. She's like, you need to get a hold of that. Like, what? You, you know. I didn't say anything. You need, you, you need to fix that. I'm like, You're right, I do. <laughs> and so there's this place. Where this intercession comes and the Holy Spirit is there in this place even when we don't even know how to pray. Sometimes we need a way through and we don't even know how to pray. You're like, I, I would pray if I even knew what to pray for. You talk about being in a frustrated spiritual place. All of a sudden, <laughs> Paul's talking to us about how we're God's kids. And now all of a sudden he's talked about sufferings and the fact that we have all this hope but it's still there's this process and that hope isn't here yet and then you might even not even know how to pray but guess what the holy spirit is there to help you through those moments and then we get to what's many of our favorite verse because god is so good and i could go around this room and i could just start pointing fingers and have you have so many of you stand up and just begin to tell your story of how true this is. Of how true Romans 8.28 is. 
Because so many of you have seen God take some stuff that was so ugly and so messed up and so thought what you thought was complete trash. And God has used it to build an amazing story of restoration and hope. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, we're his kids. We're still dealing with some junk. There's this place that our heart should be set on hope. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's the only thing that we can really pray through. is because we need the Holy Spirit there because we don't even know what to say. And that can be a frustrating place. And he reminds us that in anything that life can throw at us, that God can't turn around and use for good in our lives. And then he brings it all together. Then he brings it all together. This beautiful concept of that we're completely God's kids and we're made 100% right with him and that there are still some struggles and we're all, we are still dealing with some stuff. And we get this concept that Jesus is our way through the challenges of life and makes us more than conquerors. That phrase right there, oh my gosh, it is so rich. Let's go ahead and jump in to verse 31 through 39. And I'm going to read every verse that is left in this passage of Scripture. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? He's built this case. We're God's children. We're dealing with stuff. We're God's children and we're dealing with stuff. So what are we going to say to these things? Sometimes I think if I'm dealing with stuff, then maybe God's kind of ticked at me or he's ignoring me. I'm kind of the, the kid that he doesn't really want to deal with today. No, he made the case strong. There's no condemnation. None of the junk that you're dealing with in life is God throwing punishment at you or trying to mess with you and teach you something. There's junk in life. You okay? Good. God was not trying to teach her not to go to the restroom during preaching. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so what shall we say to these things? Here's what we say. If God is for us, who can be against us? The story, the image of the manger brings this home to us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, generously give us all things? If this is true, if the manger is true. Now there are a lot of people out there that say that it's a fable, it's a myth. And then all of us are spinning our wheels and wasting our time. There are plenty of people that would argue that. But if your heart tells you that God loved you so much that this happened, that there was a virgin that was conceived by the Holy Spirit and there was a birth and there was a child named Jesus that was laid in a manger and that he would be the savior of us all. If God would do that, then this has to ring true just as loud. That if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one. 
Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What an amazing picture. God is sitting there. Jesus is at his right hand talking about how you and I are right with God based on what Jesus did. It's covered. It's covered. It's covered. He's interceding on our behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All of these different things fall into possibly one of those other difficulties that he talked about in the middle of the passage. Any of that going to separate us from this love that we talked about in the beginning of Romans 8? Nope. As it is written... For your sake we face death all day long and we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. My favorite imagery of this is I've shared with you all multiple times I'm not an athlete in any shape, form, or fashion. And I played one season of Little League Baseball. I was on a team of hot rods with one city. One, <clears throat> two of the brothers ended up playing college ball D1. One was the quarterback for A&M. Another one went on to uh, play in New Mexico and took uh, New Mexico University on to a, uh, a title. He went on to play in the NFL and played for four different teams. These were some stud athletes that I were on my Little league team. I was terrible. <laughs> I was the kid they put on there to try to make it even. It didn't work. We still won. They stick me out in the field where nobody hits the ball to. I, don't, I still don't remember which field that is, but it's right field, left field, whatever. Right field, thank you. Stick me out there. I'm, my prayer in that field is that, that no ball ever comes to me. <laughs> Every other person on that field, they like, had to teach us not to run over each other to get the ball. All these other athletes just wanted to eat it up. I'm like, ooh, you can have it. It's yours. It's all yours. Sure enough, crack of the bat, boom, here it comes. Pops over the infield. Rolling on the ground where I liked them. Right at me. Still. Oh. I'm sitting there all nervous. Butterflies in my stomach. I think about it. I'll get nervous again. <laughs> I sit there and I lined up. I didn't even run at it. I just sat there and waited. And thankfully it didn't do that thing where it bloodied my nose. It actually went in my glove. And I'm sitting there. And I just chunk it towards the plate. And I don't remember if the guy gets out or any of that kind of stuff. We won the game. And at the end of that game, that's the only thing I did good all season. That's sad, folks. And, at the, and what shows you how terrible a player I was is at the end of that game, I was given the game ball. <laughs> for stopping a grounder. In a game, we were clearly winning. That was not the game-winning stop. And that coach was looking for a reason to honor me. 
he was like, we got to find a way to get Clark. And, oh, here's your game ball, buddy. You did it. So I got my game ball, and I was a cherished possession of mine until I got old enough to realize it was a pity award. <laughs> and I gave it to the dog. <sighs> but every time, every time, when I hear the phrase, more than conquerors, that image comes back. That I was on a team of conquerors, I conquered nothing. I stopped one little grounder, I did what I was supposed to do. I was there, I was in the game. And I got the ultimate prize. I'm the one that got the game ball, I'm the one that got the trophy. So there on a team of conquerors, I ended up being more than a conqueror. Because I got the benefits of what someone else earned. Folks, that is what this is about. If you can grab, get your mind around this, that you're God's kid. That's how he wants to interact with you. Yeah, there's crud that happens. It's tough sometimes. Sometimes we just need to lean on the Holy Spirit to pray on our behalf and intercede for us. Sometimes we just need to hang on to hope with all that we've got and remember that we're God's kids and build our lives on the truth of Romans 8, 28 that he's going to make all things work together for our good. Why? Because what Jesus has done, we've got the benefits of the work he conquered. And we're now more than conquerors. That is who you and I are. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <sighs> We're his kids. Some junk happens. This is how we get through it. We hang on to him. Know that there's nothing the enemy can throw at us that can't turn into our good. Everything that we let stay in God's hands, we release out of him, ours and put in him. He turns into good. 1 Corinthians 16, 8. Paul shows that he didn't just write some flowery words. He says, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me. Pause. A great door of effective work is open. It's open. It's been open to him. He embraces it. Wouldn't you think that, man, that means everything just falls in line and everything's just clicking along and everything's just doing great? But look at what he says. And there are many who oppose me. Wait a minute. I thought God opened a big door of opportunity for you. Why is all this great opposition? And sometimes the things that a great door of opportunity opens and sometimes it's difficult to walk through the door. Sometimes to sit there, there's some opposition. There's some stuff taking place. We have to hang on to the truth that we're not led by if it's all smooth roads then it's God because sometimes there's some difficulties but not always sometimes God just makes a way and can't be led either by the truth that man it's hard so I must be going in the right direction no sometimes you're just pinned up against a wall going in the wrong direction you need to turn around sometimes that's what it is and this is what brings us home we're going to read the message translation of Philippians 4.13 
It says, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. That was Paul's attitude. And I want us to walk away with this concept. Here's our bottom line today. Is whose I am is bigger than what I'm going through. If you'll let that get down on the inside of you, I should never say that that's Romans 8 summed up. He lets you know who you are in those first parts and that how it ends up. And that whose I am is bigger than what I'm going through. So this Christmas season, let's celebrate that Jesus truly is the way.